0: Roll and I'll just feel something. Welcome to Rackhouse Ramblings Podcast. I'm Jeff your host. Here I like to talk about bourbon and anything related to it. Sometimes I talk about life experiences, sometimes I talk about adventures I've had, sometimes I just talk about things I'm interested in. But you know what? Every time I talk from the heart. I'm a firefighter, I'm a craftsman, I'm an avid outdoors person, and I'm a lover of all things handcrafted. Thanks for taking time to listen. I'll do my best to make it worth your while. Rackhouse Ramblings is on the air. All right, this is episode 45. I am so excited uh, for tonight's show. Thank you guys very much for tuning in. I just returned from my cabin and did some bow hunting with my buddy James. Uh, While we were up there, he and I recorded a little table talk about hunting, hunting saddles, things like that. I think you're going to find it interesting. I know I did. Also going to do a deep dive related to Veterans Day. Uh, The deep dive is on a military wood glider. I bet you didn't even know these things existed. Uh, It's called the Waco CG4A Military Wood Glider. And I'm sure you never heard of it, but I was interested in it. And I think you guys are going to be too. Um, Also, take note of the transition music. I know uh, that's one of my favorite things about this show is doing the editing and putting in the cool tunes. Um, With the Rolling Stones in town this week, I picked a few of my favorites from the Rolling Stones. So check it out. And uh, before we go any further, let's talk about bourbon. After all, this is Rackhouse Ramblings and we're about bourbon here. And uh, what I got in mind is a bottle I've had on the shelf for probably a few months now. Um, I've been <laughs> kind of dying to open it up. But I had to wait for uh, the right time, right? So let's welcome to the stage, ladies and gentlemen, Yellowstone Select Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. That's right. I said Yellowstone, right? You guys get the tie-in? Yellowstone just came back, right? New season of Yellowstone. I watched it. Holy shit, was it violent. I could not turn away. It was so good, so intense. Two thumbs up. Um, I know there's a bunch of Yellowstone fans out there. <laughs> Maybe we should do, <laughs> do a little episode about uh, Yellowstone, right? It's so cool. That What a great show. So anyway, here I have in front of me um, a bottle of Yellowstone bourbon. Um, I did it uh, because of the season premiere, of course, right? Uh, it's distilled by a company called Limestone Branch Distillers in Lebanon, Kentucky. And while I've got, let's walk around this bottle. You guys like that? (laughs) I'll read you (laughs) right on the label here that says, uh, seventh generation family distillers, 93 proof. If you go upwards towards the neck, the bottle is almost branded with that Y from the Yellowstone uh, Ranch that you see on TV. Pretty cool, it says Yellowstone Whiskey since 1872. And uh, let's see what else we got here. Let me look at my notes. Sorry about that guys, I know it gets loud. Believe it or not, I write a script for every show. So if we spin the bottle around the back, it says there's a statement on the back. In 2010, my family and I founded Limestone Branch Distillery with the intention of crafting only the finest whiskey and the dream of restoring the Yellowstone brand to its former glory. In the spring of 2015, over a century after our great-grandfather, M.C. Beam, sold his distillery to Yellowstone, that dream came true. To celebrate the family reunion of sorts, we bring you Yellowstone Select... Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. To the nose it's spicy with hints of citrus and oak and on the tongue it's spicy rye with soft cherries fading to smoked caramel and a memorable finish rich with brown sugar and Kentucky tradition. Enjoy from Stephen Beam, Stephen B. Beam, the president and distiller. So once again the Beam family uh, reaches far and wide in the bourbon industry. So that's kind of cool. It was a mouthful, wasn't it? So anyway, let's have a taste here. I'm gonna try and open this bottle, see what we got. If I can get through the packaging. Come on now. There it is. It's got a foil wrapper around the neck and a cork to it. There we go. That was no sound effect. That was the real deal. And once again, we'll hear the pour. No sound effects. That was uh, 100% genuine. Wow, it's very light. Very, uh, hmm. yeah, that's pretty smooth. Uh, Different than I would have imagined. To me, it's a very light tasting bourbon. Uh, Nice warm finish. Definitely caramel. Definitely, yeah. Let me try another sip. Hmm, a little spice in there, but not right the back of the tongue. But wow, surprisingly good. I think it's like a $39 bottle, something like that. I wouldn't say top shelf, but definitely not bottom shelf, middle of the road. That's uh, worth trying, definitely. I'll drink more of this for sure, definitely. So I went to uh, their website. It's called www.limestonebranch.com. And let's see what it says here. A delicate fusion of flavors from 7th Generation Distillers. The straight bourbon features a hand-picked blend of four- and seven-year bourbons for an exclusive old-fashioned whiskey that honors its deep family origins. So they're telling us that the, uh, the bourbon that we're drinking is a blend of four-year-old and seven-year-old. Very unique, very good. Uh, it says here, tasting notes. The nose is rye spice with soft leathered cherries. <laughs> Uh, the palate is smoked caramel, and the finish is smoky oak and brown sugar. I've never heard of leathered cherries, but they have it on their website. So there you go, Yellowstone bourbon. Um, When you go to their website, one of the things you're going to see also is that the 1872 on the label is in honor of the year that uh, Yellowstone's made a national park, our first national park, and they also donate Uh, Money to the uh, National Parks Conservation Fund for every, uh, I think it says every bottle sold, something like that. They donate money to Yellowstone National Park. So you guys know that's kind of close to my heart. So we can support them and buy some Yellowstone bourbon. Pretty cool, huh? So that being said, let's get the show started. Got a few things to talk about. Rackhouse Ramblings, episode 45. We're on the air, laying it down. Stay right there. One, one two three All right. We're back. I hope you guys like the Rolling Stone Day. That was pretty cool. Um, in this segment, I wanted to uh, do something in honor of Veterans Day to uh, our friends out there uh, that are serving and who have served. Thank you guys very much for your service. Gary, you're my veteran that I know. Um, thank you guys, uh, brothers and sisters that served our country. Uh, with that in mind, I did a deep dive on something that was kind of interesting to me from the past. And I'd seen one of these things and... Years and years ago, before at the Yankee Air Museum, before it burned down, they were working on a restoration of something that uh, caught my eye, and it was a wooden uh, glider. The, the framework and everything is made out of wood, and then they wrap it with fabric. It was called the Waco CG-4A. CG stands for Cargo Glider. Um, in 1942, the Waco Aircraft Company began designing a lightweight wood glider for the military, and that's right. I said wood for military. It's who would, they were desperate at the time. Uh, by 43, 1943, they began test flying them, and eventually there were more than 13,900 delivered, uh, according to Wikipedia. It was a fabric-covered glider made of wooden metal, could carry 13 fully equipped troops. So when you think of a fully equipped trooper. You're thinking of a backpack, you're thinking of a weapon, you're thinking of extra cartridges, ammo, MREs, everything they need to stay in the field. So 13 fully loaded troops. Or you could put a Jeep in it, or you could put a howitzer cannon in it. And think about it. A Jeep, quarter-ton Jeep, right? You're going to roll it into the back of this wooden uh, fabric-covered glider. And the way it worked is the nose would flip right up, and open up so think of a square box like a travel trailer right and uh the the, the if you look at a travel trailer think of the ass end opening up but that's actually the nose and you would roll this jeep into it had uh, a metal uh, frame and rails in the bottom where the jeep would get strapped down and if you weren't hauling a jeep or a trailer you could put these little bench seats in it and guys would uh safety belt into it. I don't know why you would safety belt. The things were so, so dangerous. If you, if you get a minute, go to YouTube, go to the internet, put in uh, Waco, W-A-C-O space CG4A. And you will see some amazing, amazing, these, these things were flying death traps. They will, they, it was unbelievable to think anyone, you could talk anyone to getting into it. So it was like this mechanical wonder. They needed a cheap way to get troops uh, over the enemy line, enemy lines or into the battle, wherever they wanted to get them, and uh, without building a whole other entire plane. So think of it. Give me a plane without an engine, without all the fuel, without all that, and we'll just tow it. And when you watch how they tow these things, it is fucking incredible to see. There's a video of one sitting on the runway, and they hook it up to a C-130. C-130 starts taking off, and you're just tying rope to the front end of this stupid little glider, and the rope uh, tightens up, and there goes the glider. There's a little bit of stretch in there that that keeps it from falling apart, but it would make it off the runway. Um, The most noted, uh, what caught my attention is they used this when they stormed the beaches of Normandy, but actually this glider was used in eight different battles, and at Normandy, they towed it Uh, In the air over the English Channel, so you'd load up your guys you take off on the runway float over the English Channel Um, The C-130 would cut you loose and you were on your own you would glide right in and really they were made For they said they were made for multiple use But really it was just one use because when you landed you crashed the thing had two wheels on it Think of like like I said a travel trailer has two wheels like an axle, right? That's what this had And that was really just for taking off. When you landed, you had these skis, like skids, that you would land in these fields. And there was no way on God's green earth these could ever be reused. When you landed in a field, you just land. There there was no soft landing, no nothing like that. Uh, Think of the hedgerows of France. Like when you watch Band of Brothers and all that sort of thing, that's where they landed. I found a uh, story that talked about um, the invasion of Sicily in 1943. And what they talked about was the gliders were flown uh, from North Africa across the Mediterranean. That's 450 fucking miles over the Mediterranean Ocean to Sicily, where they would land. So think about you're sitting inside a wooden frame with fabric over it. And by fabric, I mean, think of your bed sheet. That's really how thin the fabric is. They take a bed sheet, which is cotton and linen, And they would roll paint over it and help uh, make it uh, a little more stable and more aerodynamic. It'd be a special kind of paint. They still do it these days with uh, canoes. If you've ever seen, like, uh, there's certain canoes that are fabric covered, this would be the same idea. So here you are, 13 guys. We're all sitting in there. We're our troop. We're together. We're a unit. And uh, we're on the runway. And, you know, some of the troops are getting into a C-130. But we've been selected to get into this fucking glider (laughs) They called them. What did they call it? A coffin in the sky. A coffin in the sky is what they called it, instead of a, a plane or whatever. And really, it's a glorified tent, right? That you're going over the ocean at thousands of feet. Thousands of feet. These things were so dangerous that one third of all the people that got into them died. That's how the, the statistics were. One third. So think about that. 13 of us are getting in, that means uh, nine of us are coming, might hopefully uh, live, right? (laughs) So either you're going to get shot up in the sky or the glider would fall apart, which they actually would. The wings would just fall off these things or you you crash land. Well, really, you did crash land. Some crash landings were worse than others. So um, what I found out was the government would issue contracts for people to build these gliders and... Looking on Wikipedia, I want to say there's eight or ten companies. I'm going off of uh, memory right now. But um, the the biggest manufacturer was Ford Motor Company right here in the state of Michigan. They manufactured these in the Upper Peninsula in Kingsford, Michigan, at a plant that was made uh, originally. They converted it. The plant was making um, wood-sided station wagons. So Henry Ford converted it uh, into making these uh, gliders. And the first... 1,000 of them, they would make them and there'd be a military inspector there. He'd give them the thumbs up. Okay, this is good. They would disassemble it, put it into a crate, load it onto a train and ship it across the country. Well, to get more efficient, um, Henry Ford said, you know what, we're going to clear, build a road from our factory to the closest airport and they're going to fly out. And sure as shit, they towed them right with another plane and flew them across the country to their final destinations, wherever they were going to go from northern Michigan. Imagine that. So uh, they said that uh, the Ford Motor Company made 4,190 of these. And then when they were really rolling, they were able to make, uh, I think I said, eight of them a day or eight an hour, something like that. And they had run 24 hour shifts. These uh, they were made out of wood, metal, fabric. Uh, it was pretty crazy, pretty crazy. I was just fascinated by it. Um, you can see they have a, one on display in Michigan. at a, uh, There's a museum in Iron Mountain, and you can go check it out on this webpage called exploringthenorth.com. And really, it's a mining museum, but this town was so proud of what they did, they restored one of these and have it in their mining museum. No shit. There's one in Kalamazoo, too, uh, at the Keizu, uh Museum. So, uh, what else do I got for you guys? I think that's about it. Go check it out. It's really, really interesting. Wikipedia has a good article on it, the Waco CG4A. And go on YouTube. has some really good footage of these things flying. They even have the training video from the military, the original one from 42 or 43. It shows how to lift the nose up, how to load a uh, a Jeep, how to load the seats, all those sorts of things. And when you see how janky this thing looks, you'll just shake your head to think that guys would actually uh, uh, <laughs> risk their lives uh, gliding in these things. It was un- unbelievable. Whoever had the idea and somebody said, oh, that's a great idea. Let's go with it. It should be uh, should be shot, really. But anyway, uh, happy Veterans Day. That was my little deep dive on a wood military glider. Go check it out. Uh, Rackhouse Rangs will be right back. Got a few more things to talk about. Stay right there. That uh, Yellowstone bourbon, pretty good stuff. Um, let's talk about deer season, deer hunting, or I should say the lack, of, <laughs> the lack thereof. I was up north, like I said, in my cabin last week, and uh, spent quite a few hours in a tree stand. James in a, was in another tree stand or his tree saddle. I was in a tree stand. Neither of us saw anything. Very disappointed so far. Um, it's not been a normal season for me. Um, not sure about you guys. Sat in a couple of my honey holes, my good spots. Haven't seen crap. Not a raccoon. Not a possum. Didn't even hear any coyotes this season. Usually I see all sorts of wildlife and things like that. And uh, so something has changed. I'm familiar with the area that I hunt. Really, really familiar. I know the paths and the patterns of the deer and all that sort of thing. And this year something's changed uh, without me knowing. I guess I, I blame myself for not putting in enough time uh, during the preseason, not walking my trails. And usually when I do that, I gather intelligence. I look for fresh deer sign tracks and scat and things like that. And my experience kind of has taught me that the deer in my area will change their pattern uh, as the season progresses. They kind of they follow the food. You think about it that way. So there might be times they're looking for grass to graze on, or there might be times they nose their ground. Uh, they kind of go through the leaves, not looking for mushrooms. In my area, is a common one. And then there's times they look for oaks so they can focus on acorns. So this year has not been a good acorn year for my area. We have absolutely zero. Um, and one of the things I noticed a few years ago, they did some logging, a couple of parcels down for me, and that changed the tree cover. Once they clear out the trees and they open up the ground um, to the sunlight, there tends to be more seedlings and things growing, and the deer will definitely hang around that that new growth. And it took a while to figure out the patterns, but I did, and, and I was successful last year. Um, but this year, not so much so far, so... Uh, my, my season's not over, still got, we have plenty of time left, but I'm going to go back up in a couple weeks and, and see what I can do. Um, speaking of that, there was, uh, uh, who had, somebody sent me a picture of getting a deer. I can't remember who it was. Sorry guys. But if you uh, get one, send me a pic. I love looking at them. I love seeing successful harvests. And also, um, before I forget, I want to give a shout out to a couple of new listeners, Nick and Joe, the two brothers, I'm going to get on the show pretty soon. And Nick and I were talking, we were at a training the other day, and he wants to learn more about hunting and outdoors things. And uh, so I'm going to bring him uh, hopefully up to my deer camp next fall. And between now and then, we got some milestones to reach. I want to get Nick into some hunter safety. I want to bring him up. Uh, work on some woodsmanship stuff. Uh, maybe some target practice, things like that. And I'm so glad uh, Nick mentioned that because I love introducing uh, uh, people to our sport, to the outdoors, to hunting. Um, Nick and I were talking about bow hunting or gun hunting, whichever one he prefers. I'm going to try and, of course, push him to uh, the bow because that's one of my favorites um i to me it's a lot more forgiving and we we tend to see a lot more deer but whichever one he chooses that's great i'm going to help him out and uh so we'll keep you guys posted on that i think it's going to be really interesting um so remember uh what else can i say here send me some pics if you guys get a deer uh i think that's what i got for hunting right now so the uh the next segment i have uh some podcast recordings i took my digital recorder up to deer camp with me and sat down with my buddy james uh talked about hunting and we kind of progressed into hunting saddles he has one and is extremely knowledgeable in it so i think i got like a 20 minute segment and it may be a six minute segment i'm going to squeeze them together and uh, give it a listen let me know what you guys think i'll be right back And we're recording. Here we go. The Rackhouse Ramblings. This is November 11th. We're at the cabin. Uh, Myself and James. Say hi, James.
1: How's it going, everybody?
0: So we are, uh, to bring everyone up to speed that's listening, we are uh, recording this podcast on the 11th of November. James and I are up in Alcona County, Michigan, and we have no electricity, no power. So we're recording this on battery power. Yep. Went out about what five o'clock or so, yeah. So Maybe it's it been five thirty or so, two hours ago, hour ago, yeah, something, something like that. that. Good thing the weather's not too cold. It's mm-hmm. about 60. Is it still 60 degrees in here? That's what the thermostat said a second ago. And there you go. So I am sipping on some uh, because it's rack house ramblings. We always uh, emphasize the bourbon. I have some Costco, age seven years, made in Tennessee. I believe it's from the uh, makers of Jack Daniels. Sipping with me here. James is on a water right now. We're just kind of being lazy. Mm-hmm. And uh you know, this is probably the first recording I've done on this uh audio recorder, believe it or not. So nice. the way it works is this will get recorded and then mm-hmm. I'll upload it. So we can try some sound effects. There you go. There you go. How about this one? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And live studio RC, everybody. Easy <laughs> people, easy. Okay. There they go. So um let's talk about uh hunting season so far you've been up here how many days now james
1: Uh, i've been up here since this past saturday
0: so how many days is that so if if people don't know what day of the week this is probably not going to get uploaded until next week so so.
1: we're recording this on a thursday so i've been this is day six for me straight a few more days left and you've been
0: hitting it hard Mm -hmm. no sightings no sightings this uh, this week. Yeah,
1: saw a doe a couple weeks ago.
0: Yeah, but so like Bigfoot, the deer are very yeah. elusive, very very elusive. The only th- the only uh, sign of deer I've seen is a leg in the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> Explain to people listening what do you mean by leg in the driveway? I was
1: uh, walking out across to go check out some of the property uh, across the road, mm-hmm. and walking along and found a. Uh, chewed
0: up deer leg out there It was picked clean i'm you know i sent that picture of my buddy dan and he was wondering if it was from a roadkill it's possible i didn't see any road i, haven't, out I there. haven't either no i haven't either so anyway there was a deer leg a hind was it a hind leg you think or front leg uh not enough to tell to go yeah off of. it had a hoof
1: <laughs> yeah, it had a hoof it was picked pretty clean yeah so.
0: Could have been a coyote, too. You yeah. never know. Coyote, bear, who knows? Yep.
1: Seen what? a few bears on the cameras. So
0: Yep. They're definitely around here. So, normally, November 11th, we see more uh, rut activity in our area. And we haven't seen crap. Mm-hmm. Haven't seen... I uh, think I found one scrape. You might have found one scrape. Uh, normally, there are phew, at least a dozen around. Yeah.
1: Sign's been pretty minimal.
0: Yep. So... Our weather's been uh, 50s, upper 40s sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. 30s in the morning you had. Sunday was almost 70 degrees. 70. So the, the weather has been all over the map. And today we started out, I thought it was pretty damn warm this morning. We were mm-hmm. up there before sunup. Sunrise is what, 7, 12 or 7, 13, something yes, like that? Yes,
1: about somewhere around there. Right.
0: So we were out there by 645. Maybe it was pretty dark when we got out. And I'll tell you, I was sweating my ass off. I had one too many layers on. We sat till, what, almost 9 o'clock? Yeah. Didn't see anything. Came down today and worked on a elevated blind. Got that wrapped up about, what, noon, 1 o'clock? Mm-hmm. And then went and uh, hunted another part of National Forest here, uh, here on Manistee National Forest, just down the road. And uh, looked like a very promising spot. Mm-hmm. We were on a ridge overlooking a nice... Uh, what would you call that area? It was like, just a, it was a stream, creek area. Well. Yeah, a nice creek. That creek kept flowing. I swear I had to pee three times. <laughs> That's I kind of what I was thinking water. too. I, every time I hear that water flowing, it's like holy smokes, number three. But we we're overlooking. We we're kind of on an elevated ridge, overlooking this stream. Mm-hmm. Kind of. I wouldn't say swampy area, but no, it,
1: it was it was a lot of tall brush with some with yeah. some thickets in there. Probably some yep. pretty good bedding area.
0: And then. It almost was like you were sitting over a draw, like a finger that kind of went down into that yep. area. And I went a little further than you, and I was sitting over the same thing, a draw that would it was like a couple natural funnels that led up from there. And we sat for a few hours, probably, what, three and a half hours maybe?
1: Yeah, it was probably one thirty or so when we were both up in the trees yep. and then sat till what, 4.30? 4.30 or so.
0: Yeah, and didn't see anything, but man, was it windy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did see another hunter setting up just down the as we pulled in the first driveway so they're getting ready for opening day and in this area if you don't have a cabin it is common to park your uh rv and your tent and all that and just set up your deer camp on national forest property right
1: yeah this guy had a big old wall tent setting up we were originally going to a spot that i had uh scouted out a little bit during spring turkey season i found some promising spots but mm-hmm. then we got there and the guy was setting up so we yeah get, was, we decided to give
0: him a space yep so we went a little bit further down and found a good spot but no uh no luck so here we are sitting in the cabin tonight in the dark by battery powered light with battery powered uh <laughs> podcast <laughs> and check our connections i hear a little bit of buzzing in here do you hear that there's a little bit somewhere usually it's a bad connection but anyway So, what else do we want to talk about? Uh, Lack of deer sign that we're seeing Mm -hmm. in our area. We know there are deer here. We know we've had them on camera. It's just that within walking distance, we haven't seen any rut activity. So, we either have to go further, deeper into the woods, or something's got to give. I
1: know I've seen some
0: uh,
1: back on the southwest corner, like, you know, that big clearing is going out towards the, uh, on the two track. Yeah. yep. I did see some
0: signs of bedding in that area, too earlier in the week so that's that's a common betting here you know so we'll see they got to be around here i figured we'd see something moving around today but tomorrow tomorrow's going to be a new day Mm -hmm. we'll have to try something different you know
1: um i did see a couple flocks of turkey yesterday afternoon that's a good sign
0: that's a good sign too if turkeys feel safe the deer feel safe so you know you're kind of worrying about predators right if the turkey are safe that means you know
1: yeah that's what i was thinking when i saw them too yeah
0: how about any uh, any tactics you've been using?
1: Just playing the wind, trying to find trying to find some fresh sign to set up on.
0: Yeah, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about was your um hunting setup. So I use a Summit Viper climber, yep. the S D, and I really like my climbing stand. And you've transitioned because you started out with the same thing. Yep. I still have it. you you had a couple of transitions. So maybe explain to people. You went from the Summit Viper, and then you went to the sticks with a, a yep. stand,
1: right? Yeah, I started out when I first kind of started getting into hunting and all that. Everybody checking forms and stuff for what people recommended. Ended yep. up with the same stand that Jeff has, and yep. I still use it. I think it's probably the best bet out there in the pines For and a all climber, stuff. right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, then a couple of years ago, I wanted to be a little bit more mobile, get, be able to get in some more trees that weren't necessarily the best for climbers so I right. switched to a lone wolf uh alpha 2 hang on stand with the matching sticks and then
0: uh and you use 3 sticks with that stand Uh
1: two? depending on 3 to 4 depending on really? what uh then last year I added some uh aiders on the bottom of it so I could I can get pretty high with just 3 sticks Explain what an aider is. Uh there's different ones the ones that I added to these sticks is just uh a wa- like a cable a- uh wire that loops around then i bolt to the bottom step
0: so it kind of gives you a loop right yeah
1: basically between three of those it makes up for one stick okay so it lightens up my load carrying it in and all that the thing i am i'm not the biggest fan of heights ever yep so i always even though like i have the the harness on and i'm tied to the tree Mm -hmm. it's a very passive restraint you know it's designed to stop you from hitting the ground if you fall right um so I switched last year, I started transitioning into hunting out of a tree saddle, and that has made my comfort levels of trees tree so much better. Yeah, I
0: saw you tonight, you were pretty high up there. You're every bit as high as I was. Yeah, I was looking over, I'm like, oh, I'm yeah, as high we're as he both is, like, he can't... He 20, can't even... 21, 22, yeah. right in there is about where I am. And uh, You were even with me.
1: You, with the saddle, you feel the active restraint, you, you feel, feel that it you're tied you. to the tree, and yeah, once you get the thing with the saddle too is everybody always thinks they're not going to be that comfortable. Once you play with it, get your adjustments and all that. It's, to me, it's just as comfortable sitting in that Summit Viper of mine. Yeah, and all that. And, and then, so
0: when you're sitting in a saddle, the tree is directly in front of you, right? Yeah, you're using the like where with a well,
1: traditional tree stand, you're on the front side of the tree for waist spacing, whatever direction you're expecting the deer to come from. Right. With a saddle, you're behind the tree. So the benefit, one of the benefits of that is you get the tree is kind of a camouflage. So, and then you can kind of position yourself around the tree to the left or to the and right. And uh, you're a left-handed shooter. Yeah. Too, I'm a left-handed right? shooter. Okay. And the thing about those is, you know, the bit one of the big selling things too is like I use a platform. It's basically just like a little 12 by 12, basically almost a tree stand kind mm-hmm. of th- type thing to rest my feet on. And I can pivot around the tree with it and you get 360 degrees around it. Some guys use, uh, ring of steps like john eberhart that's his big thing is he loves his ring of steps mm-hmm. so he can basically almost walk all the way around the tree huh um
0: and then what other so it, there's either a platform there's a ring of steps do guys just stand on pegs is that like uh john eberhart will do that yeah. yeah so he'll get like
1: a set of like his private land stuff where he can screw in the trees Yep. just like those screw steps you use he'll run those things in all the way around the trees huh. okay um but I was we, using that. I was last year just using those same climbing sticks that I was using with the other stand. Yep. And they're fine. But I wanted something a little bit lighter, something a little more compact to pack in. Just part of the idea of it is I'm just trying to get in the woods as lightweight as possible, especially I feel especially when, like with when you're hunting public land. Yeah. Down yeah. where we live and all that, it's very pressured. You got to get yep. in deep to get away from people. So I was con- like, do I buy a set of, you know? Uh, l- more the more quality, lightweight, shorter stands uh, or sticks. You're which you gonna be looking at four hundred bucks for. You know, yeah. for a good set. So I've been reading some of the saddle hunter forums and
0: so what, what do you have now? What
1: are the so now what I use is uh the what we call the one sticking method. Okay. Where I use it's a twelve foot climbing stick with a double step on the bottom and it has a platform of its own on top of it, so I could use that just by itself to hunt off if i wanted to Mm -hmm. and then some guys will use a two-step aider i have a three-step aider because
0: i thought you had pieces you're saying a climbing stick
1: yeah what i used to use and i and they're out there on the porch is those climbing sticks now what i use is it's a small stick it's like a 12 inch stick yep from step to step Mm -hmm. and then i have a three inch sewn aider that's on it that's just like a webbing this yep like real heavy-duty ratchet strap kind of webbing type stuff. Uh, that's like a 15-inch between steps. Okay. So, I mean, I put that thing up over my head as high as I can go with it, just long enough for me to get my bottom my foot in the bottom one. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I'll get six feet in one move for that thing. Wow. And that's, I mean... What between... do you think
0: your setup weighs right now? Have you weighed uh, it ever?
1: Five pounds, if that. So, five... With... With your, your platform you're standing on? Yeah. Probably around five pounds between the platform, the stick, and, and oh. the, the cool thing about the...
0: That's a huge difference. I'm yeah. at
1: 25 pounds. Well, like I said, I mean, like, you know, especially going through those hills and stuff, carrying those climbers back there, you'll work up a pretty good sweat.
0: Tell then, me about it.
1: <laughs> then you're sweating and, you know, you're cold within an hour when you're yep. back there because you were sweating, even if you do walk in real light, layered... But uh, the cool thing about, like, the, doing the one-stick method that I'm doing now is to get down out of a tree. I get to be Batman. I get to rappel down Just out rappel of the tree. down?
0: Yeah. You got down pretty quick. So, let's talk about going up. So, you set your first step. Yep. Wrap it I around set the it tree. I about
1: as high as I can. I loop yep. it around. What I eat, I use a cam cleat instead of just, like, a like the sticks I used to use just had, like, the ratchet strap. Yep. Or the strap yep. with the buckle. So on it. So, now it's a cam. Now, I cam cleat in. I use Amsteel rope, which is very, very strong stuff. hmm and then once you set your stick, you just climb up. The key to using aiders is make sure you bury your toe into the
0: tree, and then you just go up. But when you're going up, too, you you have your safety harness on. You're using, like, a lineman's rope that goes around yep. the tree?
1: Okay. I use a lineman's rope when I'm climbing, and then especially when I am get to the... Once I get to the top of my first move, once I get on that first thing, I'll get my tether, which is also my rappel rope. Yep. And then I'll wrap that around the tree, and... Normally, with saddle hunting, if you're not using like this method you're just using climbing sticks, you use just a regular uh tether rope that mm-hmm. has a g- hole looped into it, the girth hitch to the tree well with this because you have to work around limbs and stuff if you've got a tree that has limbs and stuff instead of using a traditional girth hitch, I use a, a quick like a chain quick link that mm-hmm. I can screw open so that way I can just open the girth hitch up take the thing around, wrap it around the next branch if I need to, yep. and tie it back up yep. and all that. But once you get up there, you get your, your tether, your pillow rope up there, um, your set, make sure everything's locked in so it won't fall on you. And then what you kind of do is you just kind of let yourself down. Mm-hmm. I wrap my legs around the tree, and then I just lean back. The stick's got a little handle on top of it that I just pull up, and that mm-hmm. breaks the set loose from the tree. Then I just reach down there from release that am steel rope from that cam cleat, move it back up. I kinda of push myself off the tree. I set the stick up as high as I can go again, and then you use the lead or your, your tether to hold the stick against the tree, so then you can hands-free wrap the ham steel thing around again. Wow. Set it, then put your foot in the aider and tow to the tree, go back up to the next set. Wow. And then as I'm tra- making each transition, like I said, I've just got my lineman's belt holding me to the
0: tree so I can work. And, and you got, like, everything is kind of hanging off your belt, right? Like
1: Yeah, I've got uh, pouches for my lineman's rope. And then, uh, like, I'll hang my platform as I'm climbing. I'll hang it. Some guy's hanging off their uh, saddle. I don't like it hitting the back of my legs when I'm right, climbing right. and all that. So I I just tie it off to the back of my pack once i get you got
0: all kind of shit hanging off the yeah. back then don't you and then uh, we talked
1: about suspenders
0: it's well like
1: i said the suspenders i got that's just on the actual thing and once i'm up the hunting height those suspenders a lot yeah. of times i'll just kick them off the side it's just okay. to help hold the back up while you're walking in wow but uh i mean i can be 20 feet up when you know three moves with that thing
0: so. It looks. It sounds. It all sounds really complicated to me. It, it sounds complicated, and that's what I thought at first. Yeah. Like
1: I, when I was first researching ideas on how to do this and how to get lightened up, it's not the way I was going. Yeah. But then I watched uh, another gentleman that's here in Michigan, uh, Greg Stags. He has a YouTube channel called Stags in the Wild. Mm-hmm. He does a lot of that kind of stu- hmm. stuff, like we're talking about. And one of his friends he had on there, and he demonstrated it and
0: like. It's really actually when you watch it happen, it's really pretty simple. Yeah, for the dot, you know what? And speaking of like budget wise, I guess how much more do you think is it percentage wise than like the uh, Summit Viper? The
1: saddle is like I mean the Viper is I think when I was pricing on a new one, I think it was somewhere around three three fifty or something yeah. like that. Yep. I, yep. mine I got used off Craigslist right. for like one hundred and fifty bucks. Right, but is the saddle the like saddles- double as
0: much? No,
1: I think I just paid three hundred bucks for it. Really, and the sti- like the
0: setup that you have now—the uh, the the saddle, have,
1: the stick. The I've pieced some. St- I've pieced stuff together. Like I've changed some of my patch my pouches out because now instead of using this the dump pouch like I use, I right I use a dump pouch for my lineman's belt, and I used to use a dump pouch for my uh, tether and stuff on the other side, but since now I've switched to this forty foot of rope that I'm using for propelling, I got a roll pouch that I use. I mean, these little things that I've.
0: Tomorrow I'm gonna have, have to ears. take a
1: better look at your
0: setup, but because uh, the the weight thing has really got me intrigued. After hiking the Grand Canyon and feeling the weight in my backpack, now I put this uh, climber on, and after going to the ortho and getting the cortisol in my knee, I'm really, <laughs> I really want to lighten my load. Man. And then the
1: the stick that I got is, is like 200 bucks for the stick, and it's custom. Okay. That was actually custom built here in Michigan by another Michigan company, uh, uh,
0: Eastern Woods Outdoors. Okay. So hmm, I might have to mess around with this system. Look at this a little bit, change my tactics a little. The other thing that has me concerned is the shooting. So if, if I'm leaning back trees in front of me Mm -hmm. and obviously there is a rope that attaches me to the tree, right? Is that around your waist or is that around your chest?
1: So what is, so the saddle in its most basic form is kind of like a rock climbing harness.
0: Like a diaper, yeah, right? basically like a diaper. Okay.
1: Instead of having like a full body harness, it's just it wraps around your waist. There's yep. a belt, and it's got the buckles that come around your leg. Yep. And all that, and then basically kind of like where your lineman's loop would, would be on your har- on your regular traditional harness. Yep. There's another set of loops on there that comes in that has uh, what calls what's called the bridge. Mm-hmm. Different manufacturers use different things. Some people use just webbing. Some people use rope, climbing rated rope, tethered. Who I who I use. Uh, they use amp, they use Amsteel rope, and then my bridge is adjustable, so I can like if I'm walking in, I can cinch it all the way down like a belt, and then you can adjust it out to so it comes up almost to the like your, your chain. chest, chain okay. or so or your chest, and that's what's you clip your tether into. You yep. clip it into that, so yep. you have just got that coming up here, and it doesn't get in the way at all or okay. anything. Um, like I said, you just kind of learn to maneuver around. Like I said, when you're shooting, like if I'm, granted, I know this is hard for people to picture, but if you've got the tree in front of you, yep. I'm a left-handed shooter, so yep. I hold my bow in my right hand, right? Mm-hmm. So, my, and granted this would be reverse for right-handed people, my strong side shots are from everywhere from 12 o'clock on to 6 o'clock. Okay. That's my strong side, yep. weak side, 6 to back to 11, 12 o'clock. Yep. So... If I want to shoot something in front of me, I just pivot around a little bit and kind of put your feet up. When you, brace, however whatever's coming for you, you can brace one knee up against the tree. But you just pivot off the side of that platform and you just draw. Have back. you dropped
0: your phone yet? No, I've not. Because <laughs> like you know, when I'm when I'm in the tree stand, I'm kind of sitting there, my phone's in my lap, and I look over at you, and you have to hold your phone like right out in front of you. Like you almost need a tether on your phone, right? I've
1: actually thought about getting that just for the sa- safety. Ma- a lot of that, but I just keep because my yeah. my jacket has that pocket right here. Yeah, you just, just keep it right there. Keep it right there if I need to. <laughs> that would but, be me. Uh, I would drop my phone because <laughs> I'm climbing climbing up because I usually don't have my jacket on when I'm climbing up. Yep, I'm just it's it's in my side pocket of my pants, mm-hmm. and then I just put transition it. Your
0: system it. seems to work pretty good. I'm really intrigued about the weight thing about oh, yeah. going
1: lighter and like if you want like there's different ways like if you want to get around to that weak shot because the biggest concern is. Like with a tree stand, one of the big things, like I said, you, you don't have a back shot behind you. Anything right. behind that tree you don't really have.
0: Right. And you know today, you know that's how I fucked up my bow last year, right? Yeah, you were telling me that. My buddy Andy's place, I had a deer behind me. I turned around to shoot and let it go, and I torqued it, and my bow exploded. And, uh, so that behind me thing is, yeah.
1: Well, and one of the big selling points of the saddle is you got 360 degrees. Granted, you might have to move a little bit more to get some of that full 360 degrees, but like you just kind of pivot around... You know, with your feet on that pivot platform that you have, and you can just yep. pivot around, or one of the moves that uh, the tethered guys from tethered actually had did a couple of videos with hunting public guys on when they were switching over to saddles. Mm-hmm. Like you could take your uh, put your bow in your strong in your bow hand, and take your weak hand then and wrap underneath all that that bridge and all yep. that rope, yep. and pivot around. Like that, so you're just standing on the platform, and huh. the bridge and all that's holding you literally t- up against the tree nice and secure while you're hmm. doing your weak
0: side shots. I have to check that out, so we'll mess with that. See, I always thought your system before, you had three steps Yeah. and the lone wolf, right? Yeah,
1: I had a total of four sticks. Each one had three steps to it.
0: And so now I'm thinking, oh, he's probably got three sticks and a tiny platform. Mm -hmm. But you really only have.
1: I just have one 12 inch
0: stick with a. And you just kind of. What do you. Like leapfrog that thing up. Yeah, I
1: just move it on up as I go. And then. no shit. Rather than try. There's some people that will like try to reverse it down instead of rappelling. Yep. But I'm like, just rappel down. It's super easy. Because beforehand, I was using for my tether. Like standard, these things come with Prusik knots and mm-hmm. stuff. Yep. But like everybody switches over to the Ropeman, Ropeman mechanical things and mm-hmm. all that'll bite down. And that's what I still use on my yep. lineman's belt. Yep. Uh, what I have this year, and they've got all kinds of different ones, different make- makers, Beal and uh, pretzels and stuff like that. But I have a Madrock Safeguard, which is my mechanical descender, but mm-hmm. it has the little lever on it that you pull over when you want to let pull the
0: open the break up yep, so it'll let you slide down we use those at work yeah I know what that a pet we use the pet one so yeah huh I'll have to check that out it sounds like, I'm really interested in how light it is but I'd have to try shooting one out maybe for next season I'll see about uh, messing around with that so we'll see it, it, it's I'm intrigued so there you have it so James is like the expert <laughs> I told you you should be a product endorsement guy uh, for all this sort of thing you've researched it quite a bit now we just need to put you on a deer mm-hmm. there you have it anything else you want to talk about we burned up almost half hour already
1: oh, i got nothing off the top of my head right now
0: okay we're gonna end it uh kind of right there at this segment and uh stay tuned Rackhouse rambling be back okay we're back it is the morning of the 12th it's 5 53 a.m james is with me again and uh, a little morning preview of what's to come for today today is friday right yep friday so while we're sitting here having coffee i looked up the uh what do you call it the soul lunar moon phase or some mm-hmm. bullshit like that i have no idea what that means i don't know if it works or anything I, I mean if you today's supposed to be a piss poor day if you follow
1: the actual like the color deer studies and stuff they mm-hmm. claim that the moon f- that makes no
0: difference so it makes no difference and why do they sell the app you think <laughs> because people buy it for like fishing for hunting all that sort of thing i've got two of them free ones on my phone but
1: but you you talk to guys that you know have been hunting all their life and they'll swear up and down that it makes a difference so. oh shit but
0: uh, we're gonna find out today so the forecast this morning is, what, 36 degrees or something?
1: Yeah, it was about 36, 38 when I was outside. It is
0: perfectly clear out. You yep. can see stars from as far as you can see. The sky is full of them. So there's no moon out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what else are we going to talk about? Uh, you're going to sit up front, and I'm going to sit yep. somewhere in the back. I'm not sure yet. Yesterday morning, I went out and marked a spot using my No, Okay, so speaking of that, Onyx... Is one of the apps I use. I think you have it too, right? Yep. There's all these different mapping apps, and they all start with Google, Google Maps, yeah, right? Is, They're all yeah. kind of like an overlay to Google Maps. Some are better than others. So I have on my phone right now Onyx, Huntwise, Not Huntwise, Base Map, and uh, what's the other one I got? Hunt Stand. Mm-hmm. I like Hunt Stand because it gives me a wind direction right on my overlay. Yeah. The more I use Onyx, the more I'm disillusioned by it. <laughs> Well, like I, said, like I said before, I think Onyx
1: was originally kind of made with the Western hunter in mind. Yeah. Whereas, like, Hunt Stand mm-hmm. was made with the whitetail guy in mind. Yeah,
0: I'm noticing that. I, I'm i almost ready to buy Hunt Stand. Like, that's why I was looking to cancel my Onyx. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's like,
1: uh, like, you listen like, uh some of the different hunting podcasts, like Mark Kenyon, you know. He pushes Onyx mm-hmm. and all that. Within like one of his uh, partners at uh, Dan Johnson that also has a separate podcast these days that he's but he started doing the podcast with Mark. Mm-hmm. He's a hunt stand guy, hmm. so
0: <laughs> yeah. I think I don't know. Hunt stand is very usable, very user friendly, I should say. And the other one, um, base map is one I like too. It has a lot of good settings on it, but. Yeah, so even that one tells me wind direction, Mm -hmm. tells me I can change from wind direction. to. I mean, look at that shit. Mm -hmm. That's way better than Onyx.
1: Onyx does that stuff too. It's just harder to find it all.
0: (sighs) Yeah. That's just what I need. Harder to find. Yeah. Fuck that. And then even, look, it tells me my barometer setting, like Mm -hmm. what the weather's going to be. I don't know. I'm going to be messing with that today. Barometric pressure, 29.7. Wow looks pretty damn clear I've been
1: wanting to I play with huntstand a little bit mm-hmm. and uh, but they don't have a trial thing and I just can't bring myself to pay for it if I haven't tried it yet
0: <clears throat> yeah I I might be uh well, you know what
1: so you might be our test pig test
0: so I like can stand I'm using it it's free but it won't let me use all the feet won't let me unlock right. the features until you sign up for it exactly it's 30 yeah. bucks a year I don't know I think I pay $15 a year for onyx does that sound right Fourteen ninety nine. I have
1: mine broken down on my onyx I don't know if it's an iphone thing or something they normally do uh it breaks down to like 14 or $15 a month yeah and then I just turn it off on the months that I'm not
0: out hunting doing stuff that's what I gotta do just plain turn it off so anyway there we have it it is five fifty three in the morning we can get dressed get ready to go hopefully today's the day right that's right cross our fingers that we can hang something from the buck pole today let those arrows fly yeah all right we're gonna wrap it up i'm gonna give you my outro music and we're gonna get out of here here it goes Hope you guys like that. That was kind of interesting. I thought the sound quality is pretty good for sitting in front of sitting at the kitchen table in my cabin. Um if I uh, get a chance, I'll do that one again. Um I think I'll wrap it up for this week. I'll try and squeeze in another episode before Thanksgiving. I don't know what topics we're going to talk about yet, but I'll find something. And uh you know, I want to reach out to you guys. A while back, I used to do a segment called Is it Real or Is it Fake? Um and I need some material for that. If you guys see a dispatch uh interesting (laughs) dispatch notes snap a pic and send it to me i need some is it real or is it fake i want to bring that back and talk about some of those (laughs) again i clue you guys in they're all real (laughs) so there you have it uh rack house ramblings episode 45 is a wrap thank you guys for listening shout out to joe c shout out to jj uh shout out to my wife ann for listening and uh rick who else do i got out there boy oh boy james of course and uh bill and joe uh chris anyone else i forgot i apologize but i will see you guys later rec house family i was driving
1: Sunday morning through Bakersfield, listening to gospel music on the colored radio station. And the preacher said, you know, you always have the Lord by your side.